Welcome to the King of Games 98! On this episode, it's Master Dragoon Saga versus Spiral of the Dragon! Hello everyone, welcome to today's special The King of Games 98 bonus episode of the Region Free Gamers podcast, the podcast Fluent in Gaming. Joining me today, out of Brooklyn, wearing his crusty curmudgeon pants, Ozzy. Hey, I'm walking over here. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also joining us, bringing a ray of sunshine to cut through Ozzy's dark cloud, Kelly, <laughs> aka Sierra Night Gaming on Instagram. How's it going, Kelly? Hey, everyone. Thanks again for joining us. This is going to be a really fun one today, I can tell you. I'm going to try to redeem myself like with Kelly from like the last episode. And... You're going you're gonna to actually make it worse. <laughs> yeah, I'm, probably. <laughs> we shall see. I shouldn't even try. <laughs> I feel like I have to take the opposite stance of you just so we can continue arguing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so Kelly, before... just speak over me all, all the time. Just speak all over me. <laughs> okay. <fine. laughs> Will do. <laughs> So, Go, Paul. No, no, no problem. Before we get to today's topic, uh, I got to thank everyone for listening and especially for interacting with us, you know, via email, via social media, whatever the case may be. You know, we really appreciate it. And uh, you know what? If you can, tell a friend about the show and don't forget to leave us a rating and a review on the Apple Podcasts app. Five stars, please. And to those of you who have left us a review and a rating, thanks. Really yeah, by my estimation, it. Paul, I think that this will probably release around March, perhaps. Um, so I hope that by that time we'll have hit the podcast motherload because so many people hit us with reviews. So yep. I'm, I'm counting on all you guys and I'm sending a message to the future saying thank you. Gosh, it really is going to be it really is going to be <laughs> March, one. eh? Like yeah, this, yeah. Yeah. So we're recording this in December, by the way. Yeah, we're recording this in December <laughs> and you know, <laughs> Just to give a little bit of background here, so I, I started this intro, you heard me say the King of Games 98. Up until now, December, we've just released our first episode of this series. We actually didn't really know what we were going to call it. We were going with the Battle of Games 98, and somehow it's morphed now into the King of Games 98, which is a stupid story that I'm not going to waste everybody's <laughs> time with now. I, instead, what I did was I wasted Kelly's time with it before the show. Yes. So... Yeah, I guess this one's in December, and we're going to release this one, I think, February or March. This is, what, number six that we're going to release, even though now it's the last one that we're recording? No, it would be the eighth. I mean, there are 16 entries, so this would be the eighth. Hmm. So I'm yeah. going to have to look at the bracket again, and uh, maybe even cut this part out entirely, since it's, like, aggressively <laughs> uninteresting. <laughs> uh, nothing like sitting behind the scenes in a live show. Yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway... This series that we're doing, for those of you who haven't heard one of the episodes in this series before, basically the conceit of this is that we are looking at the year 1998 in video games. In our opinion, the best year in gaming. It was deep. It was innovative. We just saw a ton of classics that year. We wanted to do an episode where we talked about the games of 98 and quickly realized that that was a fool's errand. And so instead, now we're doing a series where we pit 16 games against each other in a bracket-style format and then decide which game is the best game of 98. 
So to give, and before we get started today with Panzer Dragoon Saga and Spyro the Dragon, Ozzy, I know you're chomping at the bit to to talk about how great Spyro is. Don't don't tempt me. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get to those, just to give everybody a heads up on on how we go about selecting a winner for today, we're pretty much looking at five different criteria. Uh, the first one is critical reception. So we want to see how each of these games were reviewed critically and what the sales numbers look like. Uh, we want to look at whether the game was genre-defining or how it defined its genre, how it stacks up to other games in its genre. Yeah, uh, I think you could kind of loop that into legacy, which is also one of our metrics. Kind of genre-defining and legacy kind of go hand-in-hand. Ozzy, we have five criteria. Why are you making this <laughs> muddy before we start? <laughs> because that's what's described on our website, Paul. <laughs> oh, seriously? I didn't know that. <laughs> That's serious. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, the third criteria after genre defining slash legacy is personal attachment, which is how do we feel about these games personally? Uh, highly subjective, of course, because there's only three of us here. We can't accurately surmise how everybody feels about these games yeah, Spyro's but, gonna get all the love here you know with people the in their 30s to 40s <laughs> it, it, it really is especially like especially after doing some research on it but anyway um and then the last thing is head to head so how do these games compare against each other and i guess more key which one would we rather play and which do we think is more important to its genre right but let me ask you paul how the fuck does Spyro get in here <laughs> okay 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 let's 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 stop let's stop old man garcia and backpedal for a moment here spyro's not that bad i god man i can't believe you're putting me in this position because like seriously i was seriously, ready it's I was... like it's like panama in the world cup it's cute but they don't stand a chance <laughs> you're you're like... already you're already leaning in let's let's backpedal here we have a format to follow sir don't worry we'll we'll take the leash off you soon um, all right so <laughs> <laughs> just to give uh, just to give everybody a little bit of background on these games, I mean, I'm assuming most people who ha- are listening to this podcast know about these games, kind of know what the deal is, but we'll give a little bit more information just to kind of get started here. We'll start off with Panzer Dragoon Saga, just because it's the first one on the list here I have on my paper. So Panzer Dragoon Saga released April 30th, 1998. Uh, developed by Team Andromeda, who were responsible for the original Panzer Dragoon and Panzer Dragoon Zwei, or Zwei. I, I'm not German. You yep, know, Zwei. Set your expectations <laughs> accordingly. Um, <laughs> and that one was released as a sequel to the original. Uh, the creator, Yukio Futatsugi. Yeah, and... it was actually two creators, uh, Yukio Futatsugi and uh, Manabu Kusunoki. Yes. Um, they were kind of the two that were most instrumental to uh, the Panzer Dragoon series as a whole. And, and Kusunoki was actually one of the ones that was most influential in its look um, in its art design. Um, he was very influenced by Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Yes. And you can clearly see that aesthetic influence in Panzer Dragoon Saga. So it's it's really the, the brainchild of these two creators. I wouldn't say it's just... Futatsagi, um, even though he's more closely identified with it. And Kusunoki was actually the team leader. Uh, the game actually went through various directors uh, because it was quite a bit troubled. Um, and, you know, eventually kind of like 40% through the way 
uh, Kusunoki was made the final director and he saw the team through to completion. Yes, yes. Thank you for mentioning that. And with a game like, you know what, not even a game, with a series like Panzer Dragoon, that look is really arguably even more key to identifying it than any of the gameplay elements are. So it's. I would say it's the biggest thing. I I, I would too. I didn't want to be presumptuous. Yeah, no, I mean, I, it's, it's not like I want to be hyperbolic. I mean, I, my problem with the Panzer Dragoon games is that, you know, I, I love their aesthetic. It's just with respect to the first and the second one, there's not a lot of depth. There's not too much that you can make with a, an on rails shooter. You know, there's, mm-hmm. you're just set on rails and there's only so much you can do in terms of variety. Yeah. Um, but it's just everything around that, the package around that is so well, meshed and so you know elegant that it just brings it up uh, another level that you know compared to any other game that would be on a real shooters i mean let me just mention another one like elemental gearbolt or something i mean if this game looked like elemental gearbolt it wouldn't be as fondly remembered no not um, even not even close so i think as the aesthetics of it i think are the biggest thing and so much of it is kind of derived from mobius and you know the artwork of french uh artist mobius and Nausicaa. I think those are the two biggest influences on the Panzer Dragoon aesthetic. Yeah, you could do worse than that. Um, so, as far as Saga is concerned, Ozzy, I know you haven't played it because, I mean, you know, it's it's a very difficult game to find and very few people played it in North America and Europe back when it was released. Kelly, I know you do have it, though. Did you get a chance yes. to play it yet? I have played about five hours of it, I believe. Um, just because I started it a few years back and once I turned off my Sega Saturn, I realized the battery was dead and lost all my progress. Oh no! So, yeah, from there, it was just like, whenever that happens to me, I just put the game aside for a while. Uh, But I did actually decide to boot up the Sega Saturn last night and I did play a couple hours of it again and still awesome game. So yes. Yes. You know what struck me? Um, just going over the long place, you know, it's a game that takes like 12 minutes just to input your name. Um, there are a lot of cutscenes. Yes. I did not expect that in a game from 1998. Yeah. You know, the only other game that I would expect that from would be Metal Gear Solid, which came out that same year. And it's really impressive. I mean, for better or for worse, you know, how much in the way of cutscenes there is in this game. Especially yeah. at the beginning, it really kind of sets the table with that. I, there are fewer cutscenes as you go through, at least on the first disc. I'll be honest with you, from the second disc onward, I don't actually remember. But the first disc, lots of cutscenes right at the beginning, and then it tapers off, and it kind of just gives them to you piecemeal with a little bit more gameplay. Um, so I guess this leads to the question, because like, we were talking about the art, we were talking about all this other stuff. Like, Kelly, what was the thing that... You know, you played it for a couple hours. You played it for five, you know, five hours before before your Saturn mm-hmm. gave you the middle finger. <laughs> what what is it about it that sticks out the most to you? Uh, for, for the time, just having the the graphics for the time are amazing. Uh, the soundtrack. Uh, so I was listening to last night, and it was just I just made sure the rest of the house was quiet so I could actually listen to what was going on. It was just great. Uh, and then the battle system itself, it's so unique. You're uh, you're just one person on a dragon and they still managed to make an engaging RPG battle system out of that with positioning and everything else. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is a really it's a really interesting game in that way. I found the the battle system. I'm very fond of saying if you haven't played it, then you haven't played it because a it's you know it sounds pretty cool and I want to make myself sound cool, but <laughs> also because it's a it's a very unique game. Like that battle system is really unlike anything else out there. Also, yeah, you having haven't, you haven't seen anything yeah, like it, like yeah, having not played it. It's hard for me to grasp what's going on with the battle system. I mean, mm-hmm. I know that there's a whole positional aspect of kind of rotating around the enemies, but it's hard for me to understand what exactly needs to be done. It's not as intuitive as a Final Fantasy battle system where you know that you're just clicking on a menu and there's magic, there's attack, there's defense. But with this one, it just kind of feels, which what they wanted to do is a, a mixture of the shooting mechanics of Panzer Dragoon 1 and 2 um, and an RPG battle system. And, you know, going over the oral history of the game uh, from the creators, they really struggled with creating a battle system because apparently, I mean, the artists wanted, you know, something that was really kind of fancy and had animations and stuff like that, while the programmers kind of wanted more of a shooter type thing um, that was more responsive, you know, and immediate. And so the merging of those two proved particularly tricky, particularly because the team did not have prior RPG experience. They eventually brought someone on that did have that RPG experience. But it's it's a it's a, a hybrid that I don't see it in any other games. I don't think I've ever seen it in any other games. And mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of an, an island unto itself, really. And they got it right. I think I think that's really the key here because there's there's both a Look, it's not the most complex battle system. Let's not kid ourselves, right? Like even compared to its contemporaries, we'll say we'll say Final Fantasy VII, we'll say Xenogears, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Eh, I don't know. Xenogears actually wasn't that complicated either. But Final Fantasy VII was a little bit deeper in the limit breaks and the materia and so on and so forth. There was a level of depth there that Saga doesn't have. But what Saga I, does, I don't know. Have, I mean, I feel like Xenogears is. I mean, it's a digression, but I feel like Xenogears is a little bit more complex than Final Fantasy VII in its battle system. I don't remember um, either way. I like. I'm. <laughs> I'm just going off of memory. I'll trust you yeah. on that. Yeah. Was Was it worth interrupting ahead. me for that, Ozzy? No, it wasn't. But please go ahead. <laughs> what? Sorry, what Saga so much has passive aggressive, so much passive aggressiveness on this episode. <laughs> so anyway, what Saga do? Does I just have bring it out is... to, for you or something? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not gonna. I'm not gonna make my point here. That's that's what's gonna happen. Go. <laughs> um, no, but in reality, though, what what Saga has is what it lacks in that complexity. It has in an immediacy, and and I know Ozzy that you haven't played it. Kelly, you have. So you know what I'm talking about. When you're when you're moving around, when you're attacking, there's no there's no going to a menu and selecting these things. The only time you actually go to a menu and select something is when you want to cast some kind of magic, which, you know, they call it berserk forces, whatever. That's not, it's magic, right? That's what it is in all these games. So that's the only time where you actually enter a menu and select something. Otherwise, you're moving your dragon around the four quadrants with using the control pad, and you're attacking with your two different weapons using a button press. So it really has a very nice flow to it and it still manages to be complex enough to be satisfying where there are different strategies that you can use in it. And on top of that, we have the mechanic that I love 
in RPGs where they rate how well you performed in the battle. Because you don't, I mean, grinding, you know, not everybody's a fan. I get it. But one thing that really helps with grinding is when you have a set goal for the randomest crappy battle that you don't care about. Like, how well can I do on this inconsequential interruption to my game? You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Uh, I, I enjoy, too, the fact that because restarting it last night, just uh, the tutorial, it only took a few minutes. I mean, yeah. I can remember like Final Fantasy VIII just going through tutorial after tutorial. Just, oh, please get it over with. This one was like, <laughs> here's this. Here's how you do this. We're done. You can get moving now. And I just really appreciated that. And the battle system is just so fluid, too. Even to this day, it's a very entertaining battle system to go along with. It's nice to look at, too, isn't it? Yes. It also seems like, I mean, it's it seems like it's one of the first times where developers really try to bridge that divide between action games and RPGs, and it's almost like an action RPG in that sense. Would you say, Paul? Yeah, I would. I would agree with that. It's it's very much like an action RPG, except that it's done completely different from your standard one. Because I think when we think of conventional action RPGs, we think of hero or heroine holding sword moving around, stopping, slashing, hitting starts to access your inventory, and so on, right? Whereas Panzer Dragoon Saga, you're on a dragon, which is way cooler. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very scientific point. Um, <laughs> no, but I guess what I'm asking is, I mean, because at this same time, this, this same year, we had another game kind of do the same thing. And that was Parasite Eve. And Parasite Eve was actually directed and the battle design was done by the same person that did the Chrono Trigger um, battle, uh, you know, system. And it also allowed you to move, you know, and it had that element of action where you were dodging um, enemy actions and enemy hits, but you were positioning yourself around the battlefield. Panzer Dragoon Saga seems to limit that to the four quadrants. And it just kind of sticks to that. So there's a little bit more freedom in something like a Parasite E, but it's just kind of interesting to see how two developers, you know, in different silos, you're sort of trying to tackle the same issue, you know, how to make it more engaging so that your actions are more direct and that you don't have to rely upon a menu in order to, you know, make your actions. Yes, yes, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, the only knock against Parasite Eve is that while you have more freedom of movement with positioning, you're not on a dragon. <laughs> and I think I, really I think the game going somewhere there. I think I really the game suffers for somewhere. that. <laughs> um, no, I mean, listen, in, in a fair world, we will be talking right now about Panzer Dragoon Saga versus Parasite Eve, but we're not. Um, so, <laughs> I guess that's the cue to move on to Spyro, isn't it? <laughs> dragon versus dragon. Oh, I, you know what? I oh my god, that didn't occur to did me. You just until right now. <laughs> yeah, did, did you just realize this? Yeah, did you? Did you? No. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> you're you're not <laughs> you're not dealing with rocket surgeons here, Kelly. Like, this is not. <laughs> I hope you're not operating um, on rockets. That would just be. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this episode's a mess. <laughs> Anyhow, Spiral the Dragon. We'll we'll rein it in here before we <laughs> before we let it go again. Um, Spiral the Dragon. Now the other contender here. Release date. September, contender. Yes. Release date September tenth, nineteen ninety eight. 
uh, developed by Insomniac Games, and we all know Insomniac Games by now. Uh, most recently, they did Marvel's Spider-Man on the PS4, which was a huge, huge hit. They've worked on Spyro. They've worked on Resistance. You know, they're Ratchet they are, and Clank. Ratchet uh, and Clank. Uh, uh, That's like, their best to series. me, most notably, yeah. Like I love That's their best series. I, yeah. I'm waiting to see if you remember my favorite game that they've done. That I will Sunset Overdrive. Oh, oh, I thought you were going to say Fuse. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> Sunset Overdrive is pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's a shame that that game kind of fell by the wayside because of the poor support of uh, the Xbox One. Yeah, um, but yeah. that was that was a pretty cool game. That's but one I, that we're going to be talking about in like five or six years. You know what I mean? Like the cult classic, the overlooked. You know what I'm saying? Yes. It, it was destined to follow in the same footsteps of Jet Set Radio. You know, it was very influenced by Jet Set Radio, and it almost had kind of like the same arch. You know, like people were excited for it. Some people bought it. They really loved it. And then most of the public just did not, you know, buy it at all. Yeah. And so it's going to be rediscovered at some later point. Yeah. But Insomnia Game just freshly bought by Sony, which made everyone ask, wasn't this already the case? Um, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I think everyone thought that they had been, you know, Sony-owned for years, but they were not. They were actually um, requested, you know, they were actually offered to be bought by Sony together with Naughty Dog, and they declined. They said, we want to stay independent, which I think, in the long run, I think that was a good move because they really were able to do a lot of things that I don't think they would have been able to do if they had just stuck with Sony. Um, but yeah, now they're there with Sony and they can keep on making Spider-Man games. Um, which... <laughs> no, but by the way, let me say something about Insomniac. Let me say something about Insomniac and hopefully this is not too much for digression. I like Insomniac, but Insomniac to me is one of the best developers at making also RAN games. Um, every Almost every single one of their games, it's a copy of whatever's popular at the time. You see the first game that they did, which was Disruptor, a yeah. Doom clone. Yeah. Yeah. And then they yeah. did Spyro, a platforming clone. Mm-hmm. And then they did Ratchet and Clank, a 3D platforming clone. And then they did Resistance, a first-person shooter clone. And now they're doing an open-world game, which we all know we have too many open-world games right now. Um, so I like them. They do very well-polished games, but I have never seen them do something truly innovative and really break the mold. Um, and that's about as negative as I will get on Insomniac, but I just needed to get that out of my chest because I think that's sometimes missed, that they tend to be very derivative, unfortunately. Um, and I think Sunset Overdrive was one of their more original you know, titles, which is also a shame why it didn't take off. Which is yeah, a shame I, that Spider-Man is Sunset Overdrive 2 with a different skin? Oh. <laughs> I, I, well, yeah, there's, there's that. <laughs> Um, but I did I did really like Spider-Man. I thought that was a very well-made game. And you know what I like the most about it is that I could beat it in 10 hours. That was mm. probably my favorite part. Yeah. Um, if you just wanted to mainline the game. But anyways, back to Spyro. Yeah, well, you know what? No. Back to in back to Insomniac. <laughs> 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 I think I think there is See, here's the thing though. Like we we romanticize these developers who innovate and do new things and even though those things may be flawed. And, and I'm, I do that as much as anybody else, right? And I will continue to do that because I always want new gaming experiences. But, you know, I think calling Insomniac derivative, like, I think if you, I think if you're a chef and you make the best steak in town, it doesn't mean that you're, you know what I mean? It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be appreciated just because you're doing no, something not that all. everybody else is doing. No, I'm not saying, I'm not saying anything bad in terms of like, insomniac not being 
deserving of the praise that they've gotten. I that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say that, like you said, that they haven't really done something that really advances the medium in some way. I think all their games have, you know, pre-resistance a lot of charm. Um, resistance was like one of the drabbest settings in oh, any yeah. video games ever. Um, and then they did Fuse, which was also absolutely generic in every which way. Um, even that game that they released, Song of the Deep, which was like a Metroidvania, was very cute in its aesthetic, but it was also extremely derivative. But, you know, they're like workhorses. They're the reliable, you know, 290 batter, you know, to put like a baseball analogy. Like, yeah. they're going to get you the clutch hits when you need them, you know, and they're going to be a great all-around utility player. Um, you know, that, that could be the MVP. That could be what you need. And I think there's a lot of value in that. Um, and I think it's, it's really a boon, you know, for Sony to snag them. I, I think it's absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, Ted Price has done a great job, you know, stewarding that whole, uh, company. Yeah, he really has. I, I, I can't say, I mean, I really can't, other than the fact that, you know, like, like you said, they're not necessarily innovating. They're, they're just very well polished at what they do. You know, it's hard to find any fault with them. They've been run very, very well. Anyway, back to Spyro, which we'll probably have less kind things to say about. <laughs> so, you know what? Knowing that that's going to happen, because we talked about this before the show, I'll start with Kelly, because I have a feeling Kelly won't be quite as hard on it as you, Ozzy. Mm. Kelly, am I right? Uh, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you this then. Did you, <laughs> did you play Spyro when it first came out? I did not, and I only dabbled in it a little a few years later. I had a friend that really wanted me to play it, so she let me borrow her copy. Um, I think I put it in for about 20 minutes, so it was a platforming collectathon, <laughs> and gave it back to her. And you peaced out. <laughs> <laughs> and you probably said, screw this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And this is this is pretty much going to be, I think, the refrain from all of us. Like... Here's the thing. Here's the thing with Spyro. It, it it's it's impossible to call it anything other than a platforming collectathon, and it it's one that, in my opinion, has you know it, it's a great technical achievement for the PlayStation. It was an important game for the system at that time because you had Nintendo sixty four kind of I wouldn't say cornering that you know under twelve child market, but yeah. I think Sony needed something comparable to Mario and Banjo. And like I said, while Spyro is not as charming as Banjo and probably not as well executed, it does have its own pluses over Banjo and showed, you know, that Sony actually had this mascot that could provide a similar experience. Am I am I off base here, Ozzy? No, no. I mean, I, I think that what you had was Crash on the PS1, but that was a linear experience. Yes. That did not include an open world. And I much rather prefer Crash, to be quite frank. I think that Crash Warped was the better game of 1998. But at the same time, you needed to feel that niche. You know, on the Nintendo 64, you had Mario 64, you had Banjo-Kazooie. Uh, on the PS1, you had, what, Jersey Devil? Blasto. Uh, Blasto. Yeah. It, you know, you really needed this, you know, filler. You know, you, need, you needed to fill this gap that was there and... I think the problem with us talking about Spyro, and I'm trying to be as neutral and as objective as possible, is that <laughs> it, it, it really caught us. Um, no, I know. It really caught us uh, at the wrong time. There are a lot mm. of people that love Spyro. I think it's a game that has a very nostalgic reputation. I mean, the fact that there is a remastered version that people bought in droves 
really is a testament to the popularity of the character itself yes. and this games. The problem is that by the time that this released, I was 11. Um, and so I was probably three years too old for this. And Paul, you were probably in your 20s. Uh, Kelly, I'm not gonna try to decipher <laughs> any ages. Also, um, you're like oh, you're on, like I've fossilizing seen. me here. I wasn't that old. Well, I mean, 18, 19, 18, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It was, it was it was eighteen or it was eighteen or nineteen. You're not that far off. Yeah, and, I mean, and you're and you're right. Like we weren't we weren't the target demo for this game, and thus, like I remember loading it up for the first time. Like I had a buddy who you know, was my age and loved it. And I thought he was weird then. And I think he's weird now. <laughs> and I I loaded it up and I played it and I was, it was like, I think I might've lasted even less time than you, Kelly. I don't know. We should, we should like rewind our memories and see who wins this one because it just, I was just like, what am I doing here? You know what I mean? Kelly, like, you want to say something? Well, basically for me, what I've noticed with Spyro is that it brought a lot of people into gaming too. Like the friend who let me borrow it that loved it. She was my age. It's just, and she wasn't a gamer, but it was like a good entry into gaming for her. Uh, and researching it a bit, it looks like that was the case for a lot of people. It actually initially had pretty low sales, but then after the Christmas season of 98, the people who got it for Christmas, other people saw them playing it, and they were the ones that wanted to play it. They've never played a game before. They had mothers, grandmothers that wanted to play Spyro, and that's how it became so popular. Yep. Yeah, that's a very fair point. I think it was a perfect entry point. I think in that respect, it did exactly what it set out to do. I don't think that they were trying to make a game for the teenagers, the edgy teenagers. It, it, Spyro is too wholesome for that it's a game that doesn't wear any cynicism on its sleeve it's it's really very pure and that's because it's meant for you know the under 12 or 11 demographic and i think or new gamers and i think that if you look particularly now i mean you start to feel old when you see all these YouTubers basically say well i loved this thing when i was a kid and i played it to no end and this was the game that i got me into gaming and all that. I mean, yep. and that's awesome because there are a ton of games that people probably consider shitty that I love. And I'm not saying Spyro shitty. It's not at all. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the nostalgia attachment is big with this one. And, and we can't really extricate that from our evaluation of the game itself. No, no, we can't. It, it's, it's like I said i might have said earlier i can't even remember what i said 20 minutes ago now but <laughs> this this game is actually you know i grudgingly say it's a lot better than i expected and better is a very you know broad <laughs> word but like you know just just revisiting it and revisiting what people have to say about it and what it does right and it does a lot of things right like a lot of things you know, I, I have to say, you know, I think it's I think it's worthy of being in our 16. Um, I get that you'd want Parasite Eve over at Ozzy, and I don't disagree with you there. Um, but I think Arnie was correct in kind of, you know, forcing us to, <laughs> to put Spyro <laughs> on the list. No, I mean, I, I think the, the argument that we had was whether to put this or Crash Warped. I, you know, and I think the decision was that Crash Warped was the third, you know, the second sequel. Yeah. And we should yeah. put something that's original. And I I think that that game was much more varied. It had much more interesting dynamics, much more interesting settings. I mean, just going back to my experience with Spyro, I mean, I first saw the game 
again, like I was 11 and I saw it because some kid had it and I played it for like two minutes and I didn't like the drifty feel of the character. I did not like how empty it all felt. I felt like it was pointless, which is kind of the whole shtick with collectathon platformers. Yeah, it's that's really the thing pointless. about them in general. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I just completely bounced off of it, which did not happen with a game like Crash, which felt much more urgent. You had a goal, you had to do it. It was much more in the vein of a traditional platformer. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, the collectathon platformers are no longer popular and why something like Jukulele, which was trying to tap into that vein, did not succeed and was very poorly, you know, perceived by the public because people realize, oh, this wasn't actually that fun. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really what it comes down to with Spyron. You see something like even the sequel improved a whole lot because it just gave it a lot more variety. And it, when you have a collectathon platformer, you have to really make up a lot with your personality. A lot of it has to, you know, come down to your charm. And I think that's something that they were trying to feel out in the first one. And in the first one, they had some charm with respect to the dragons you rescue, etc. But the sequels, they actually dialed up the personality of all the characters, and it felt much more like a Saturday morning cartoon. Yes. And I think it does that very well. The first one was still kind of like a prototype, in my view. It was just kind of like, let's get the mechanics of this working right, and let's try to add a story, a very bare-bones story to it, and then you know we can iterate in a sequel. I think, really, that's what they were trying to do. I, I agree with you, and it's and it's interesting because it makes me wonder. Since you've brought that up, like, what would happen if they had focused more on the aesthetic and the personality of the game and less on the gameplay? You know, then we'd have a loose game that you know is probably remembered fondly for different reasons. I wonder which one I would prefer. I don't know. I I would prefer the latter. I I, I would rather that I have a charming game you know, with very flawed mechanics than the other way around. I mean, except for like, if that flawed mechanic is like a terrible camera, I, those are some of the things I just can't forgive. Yeah, no, of course, um, that's like motion you know, sickness inducing and, and so on, right? I think, I yeah. think the goal of a game, I think the first goal of a game should be to not make me barf. <laughs> is that, is that but, okay to say? That is a very good goal, but it was a very well rendered game. I mean, the technology behind Spyro was extremely impressive i particularly for the ps1 which had that waviness in its textures yeah um it's not a game it's not a platform that could achieve the same rendering as the nintendo 64 in terms of its polygons because it had just a different rendering method you know that gave it that wavy kind of nausea inducing um feel and certainly there's a lot of that in spiral but it feels a lot tighter than many other games that were kind of, you know, more open-ended of the period. Um, Yeah, it really does. You know, and now, and just to come back to it, before we take a break, so we're going to take a break here in a second, but Kelly, what about you? Would you rather have the game that is, like, more charming and more artistically driven but plays like crap, or the game that plays really well and has kind of, you know, bare-bones aesthetic? I have gotten through many a game that has had charming story, an engaging story, and crap mechanics. But for some reason, the other way around, I usually end up dropping them. So, yeah, I'm very much yeah. story-driven. Interesting. Yeah. No, there are a lot of people. I mean, I have 
friends that they much favor gameplay you know over story they don't really care about the story um i'm just not one of those persons i think that's also kelly why we like rpgs yes um it's like an rpg you kind of do the same thing over and over again for hours um but the story is what keeps you going and the characters and being attached to these characters um i think really that's a testament to which one wins out in our view yeah my husband's actually vice versa um He'll smash through buttons to get through that story as quickly as possible, but he'll play <laughs> Blitzball for hours in Final Fantasy X. So. I, think, I think I'm with him. I think I'm in his camp. Please let him know that I also agree Blitzball, probably the greatest minigame in an RPG ever. <laughs> anyway, All right, that's a discussion for another day. That is definitely a discussion for another day. Like Panzer Dragoon versus Spyro. Let's talk Blitzball. <laughs> Anyhow, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go through our now four criteria, and we're going to pick a winner from these two. <laughs> everyone we're back and so now we're going to be going through our four criteria for these two games to figure out which one will advance to the next round of this very very important tournament uh, so the first thing we're going to look at here is public reception basically what we're looking at is how did each of these games do critically and commercially and we have we have some crazy numbers here to look at mainly because Panzer Dragoon Saga clearly a victim of the system that it was on, yeah? Yes. Yeah, it's like, these are like the inverse of each other. Yeah, like, they really are. You know, Panzer did very bad in terms of sales, Spyro did great in terms of sales, and Panzer did much better in terms of ranking, uh, and Spyro was, you know, good. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, it, it like, if you're looking at game rankings in particular, Spyro, look, 85% average is no slouch, right? And, no, and rightfully so. Like, what it sets out to do, it does well. Panzer Dragoon, we're talking like 93s. You know what I mean? Like this is a yeah, game at a, at a time where 93s like were not very common. I I think afterwards we started seeing a lot more 10s. Yeah. But back in the day, you know, publications did not really give out a lot of 10s. No, it was and so usually rare. it was 9s for the most part. Yeah. So if you had a 9, you could say you were one of the best games, you know, of that year. Yes, absolutely. So just to just to give some numbers here, besides those game rankings numbers, uh, sales in Japan for Panzer Dragoon Saga, about a hundred thousand copies were sold, which is which is fairly miserable. Like there's just no way to sugarcoat it. In Japan, the Saturn was actually far more successful than anywhere else, and yet you know only a hundred thousand copies, not great. And in the USA, well, I mean, 1998 was basically a write-off of a year for Sega. At this point, they were phasing out the Saturn completely. So about twenty to 30,000 copies were produced of Saga. And in Europe, I mean, I'm reading here a 1,000 copies. Is, yeah. that, is that correct? That's what I that read, too. Jeez, yeah. so. yeah. man, a 1,000 copies of a game out there in circulation. Like, I can't believe it's not... I can't believe it doesn't even cost even more than it does. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, and it's incredible because... They were really, Sega was really building this to be the Final Fantasy killer. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I know that that seems to be the story that people latch onto, but, you know, internally, this team was tasked with making something that could go to toe, toe to toe with Final Fantasy on the PS1, because the way that the developers phrase it, this was really seen as a war with Sony. They really needed to prove themselves. And, you know, they kind of saw themselves as a, as a very counterculture, um, you know, punkish, you know, team that was doing something that was iconoclastic, that it was really doing away with the, you know, establishment mentality of like the mainstream design. And it just completely flunked, just completely flunked. I mean, Team Andromeda was disbanded after this. You know, Sega was like, that's it. We can't do anything with you guys. Like, you know, this thing failed, but they didn't really have a chance. You know, I mean, maybe in Japan, they would have had a little bit of a chance, but it came out in 98. And by that point, the Sega Dreamcast was already, you know, going to be released in a few months. Yep. So Sega basically, you know, pulled the plug before it even released it, to be quite frank. Yep. Um, it's weird so- that Team Andromeda could kind of bear the brunt of this failure when, you know, Sega Corporate is basically phasing out the system that it's being released on, right? <laughs> in spite of the Saturn being more successful in Japan, you know, the Dreamcast, like you said, it's released later that year, and you've basically got, for any fans of Sega and their brand and their style of games, you're sitting on a dead system, really. Like, the, the PlayStation was by far the dominant force in the industry at that time. Yeah, and from what I've read, I mean, it was absolutely brutal on the developers. I mean, not only was this a very difficult development, because the reality is that Panzer Dragoon 1 and 2, it was a small team of, like, 15 people. And then for something like Panzer Dragoon Saga, where you had to create an entire RPG with a whole world, they had to scale up to 50. And that really made, you know, for a clashing culture. They did not have any experience in RPGs, and so they had to adapt to a new genre. Um, and on top of that, they were working with a system that was not built for 3D. It was a 2D powerhouse that was made to run 3D. And that brought about a lot of difficulties. And from what I've read, you know, the developers say that they were very depressed after this. I mean, they thought that they were failures. Um, and a lot of them ended up leaving Sega. Um, some of them went to Sony. Um, some of them went to Smilebit, where they eventually would work on Panzer Dragoon Order. But as a whole, I mean, this was really the end of that generation of developers. I mean, they, a lot of them were very young, and a lot of them just were cut short because this game failed so badly. To me, yeah. it's just... Yeah. It just it's so sad to look at the development of this game. You have Sega going, oh, you're going to be the next Final Fantasy. You're going to be a huge game. And then they're just like, mm, we're done with the system. We're going to move on. Uh, I mean, from what I was reading, too, the uh, development team would sleep in the offices. I mean, that seems to be more common now. But back then, they were sleeping in the offices. Two people died that were part of the uh, development team, one of them from a motorcycle accident that they think was caused yeah. by stress, the other one suicide. So you have people putting their heart and souls into this game and then Sega just left them to die. Well, I mean, the main creator, um, I forgot his name now, uh, he basically says that he doesn't have any good memories of his time doing this. I mean, a lot of the other developers say that they have very good memories because they were just doing a lot of crazy things and they really felt like they were kind of going against the grain. But the people at the top, management, I mean, they were just suffering because they could see how 
there were these clashing personalities within the team, you know, at the bottom and then at the top, Sega was just not giving you the support that you needed. Um, so it must have been, you know, terrible for all of them. I mean, I, I wouldn't have faulted any of them for just leaving games entirely. I wouldn't either. You know, that's... <laughs> It's, it amazes me even that more developers don't leave video games like this development for video games must be like this, you know, heavily ingrained dream because the conditions are often terrible. And, and this is I mean, this has been going on forever, right? It's been more publicized, you know, in, in the recent future or in the recent Man, you think I know how to speak English by now, but <laughs> it's been more publicized recently how terrible working conditions have been in the industry. I'm I'm both surprised and in a way unsurprised that more people don't leave because it is a grind compared to like your average nine to five job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the thing is that, you know, you develop this game for two to three years and you put everything into it and then you're basically left, you know, for someone on a podcast to basically rant about your game, you know, and that's it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know uh, what? I think if we could go back in time and and tell the and tell these development teams, hey, you know, in 20 years, your game is still going to be talked about. It's still going to be remembered and it's still going to be very heavily praised. I don't know, like... Would you be happy with that, Kelly? I mean, go ahead, Kelly. I don't know. It's It would be a very weird thing because by that point, 20 years, I would have moved on to something else. So everyone likes that immediate praise that seeing everything do well. 20 years later, would I still care or would I have been moved on to something else? You will have lost your youth by then, Kelly. <laughs> Already have. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of the same thing that, you know, true genius is not really perceived, you know, during your lifetimes. I mean, it, art is very rarely appreciated. While you're you know, alive. Yeah. While it's released. I mean, I think in terms of video games, that's not necessarily the case because a lot of the ones that are very heavily praised are kind of the, those cutting edge, you know, pushing the envelope type games. But at the same time, there are some games that fall through the cracks. And I think that everyone that played Panzer Dragoon Saga at the time, they were, you know, very fascinated by it. And it just kept on carrying this word of mouth and this kind of cult around it. And the developers did, you know, they, they got asked that, you know, is it, how do you feel about the game? And they said, well, you know, a lot of it is very unfavorable. A lot of it are not good memories, but it helped me grow. And I also appreciate the fact that, there are still people that tell me that they enjoy my game and that really makes me feel good. And I think, you know, for the Japanese, that is more of a common thing, you know, where it's like, well, at least I did something good for someone. You know, I think if you were an American, perhaps they would probably be like, well, you know, screw it. I mean, I was cheated out of, you know, success, basically. Yeah. Um, but I think the idea of like, I'm recognized for something that I did, I think that matters to them. Yeah, I would... I would hope so. Anyway, just from just, just from now, like talking about it and how sad it is, I would hope that there's some positivity, you know, long term for some of these people, because it really did sound like a rough ride. Anyhow, going back to, you know, our, our official criteria here. I mean, I think we have to give this to Spyro, right? Like you can't argue with the sales numbers. You can't argue with the with the giant wave of nostalgia that's been hitting us with the reignited trilogy and and so on. Am I am I wrong here? Do you guys disagree? Uh, yeah, that's why I hate this category. <laughs> no, I'm, I have to agree. Um, I mean, even when on in Instagram when uh, the reignited trilogy came out, I just remember so many people being excited about it, and I was like, 
okay, more people have fond memories of it than I do. So, yep. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that when you're talking about like the ranking difference in terms of critical reception, I think you also have to consider how well the games have aged in terms of critical reception um, over time. I think that if you look at the 85 at the time that Spyro has, I think, you know, that's kind of about right. Um, I don't know where Panzer Dragoon Saga falls, you know, whether that's like a 92, whether that's too high or that's too low. Um, I haven't played the game, so I don't know if, oh, how you feel about that. I think it might be a little bit high. I hate to say it. Here's yeah. look, here's the thing, right? Like this game was played by few people, right? And anything that had and anything that's played or listened to or read by or watched by fewer people, it gains that kind of hipster quality, right? You you've heard me rant about this before on the show. And so, you know, it gets that it gets that little bit of a bump. You know, like, oh, yeah. you, you haven't played this? Well, it's super yeah, it's, amazing. It's the Rondo right? blood effect. <laughs> it really it really <laughs> is, right? So I see something like 93%, and I'm like, yeah, these are probably people who are very happy and thankful that they've got to play this game, and part of the reason for that is because they know so few other people have, and those other people also want to, right? So, yeah. you know, 93%, yeah, probably probably a bit high. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I guess in that sense, it's it's necessary to give it to Spyro. I mean, Spyro was a huge success then. It's still a huge success now. We're still talking about Spyro in 2019. Um, I don't think we're talking about Panzer Dragon Saga, except in small circles, like yeah. us. Collectors. Um, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the fact, that, the fact that the public, I mean, that has very little knowledge about games or that laps from games... At some point, they still recognize Spyro and they still have a desire to play Spyro. I mean, I think that really says a lot. Yeah, At the same time, with the remaster of Panzer Dragoon coming out, if they do happen to manage to somehow find source code or remake Panzer Dragoon Saga, we could be having a different discussion. We could. Uh, I think, yeah. I think that would be some kind of remake of Saga. I, th I actually think would do very, very well. Just because you've had this like volcanic buildup over time ready to erupt you know what i mean there's there's been a lot of talk of it over the years there's been a lot of you know oh you haven't played it and so on and so forth i think when it, if it was remade and finally released or you know what or maybe not what do i know right i don't work at sega or nintendo i i mean i don't think that it would have a huge effect i i think panzer dragon saga you can re-release it ten thousand times i still think it's going to be a very niche game um I don't think even the Panzer Dragoon games, the original ones, they were not huge hits. I mean, they were moderate successes, but they were not huge hits. I mean, it's a fantasy series, um, you know, that has a very particular play style. It doesn't really have that kind of JRPG-ness that kind of calls to, to people. Um, so it doesn't really cross demographics. So I, I don't think Saga could ever really be more than niche. Uh, and I think that's a good thing. I think that that's because it does something so different and so distinctive. But I think that really kneecaps its ability to really reach across, you know, the mainstream. And I think the developers will be proud of that. I think the developers are proud of the fact that they were not doing something for the mainstream. Um, and, you know, it kind of loses out because of that. Yeah, unfortunately. So... 
critical darling, but never going to be a sales giant. All That's right. kind of how I'll, it goes. Yeah. I'll give you something. Every time I buy a new Sega Ages release on the Switch, they have a questionnaire. And they ask you, you know, which game would you want to see in the Sega Ages collection? And they tell me just one every single time. Panzer Dragoon Saga is the answer. So, Sega, you haven't been listening. <laughs> I've been sending quite a few of those. <laughs> Unfortunately, I put Dragon so, Force on that, but well, that's another discussion. Ah, uh, yeah, that would be fantastic as well. Yeah, that would be, oh, yeah, that would be really good too. But. We're gonna, go off, we're gonna go off. We're gonna go off the rails this... <laughs> if we if we keep going on about which games we want to see re-released. Let's let's get back on track here. So, personal attachment is next. You know, our experience, our personal attachment to these games. I I don't think we need to spend too much time on this. Yeah, like we're all pretty much pro Panzer Dragoon Saga, pretty much as much as we are anti Spyro, just because of our own personal experiences with both. Right? Yes. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, I've known about Passive Dragon Saga for so long now. I mean, going back years and years and years, and it's just been this mythical game. You know, that in and of itself, without having played the game, is a personal attachment of some sort. Yeah, yeah. This, just the story of it, even if you haven't played it, is it's very interesting, and it is kind of mythical. You know, like it's got something there. I guess that kind of... You know what, I guess that kind of segues very nicely into Legacy, you know, where we talk about whether the game was genre-defining, did it leave a mark at all in the video game world? And, I mean, Spyro, to me, is is the clear, you know, clear-cut winner here, depending on how much value we attribute to Panzer Dragoon Saga's kind of cult status, that, that mystique, the fact that the source code is lost, that it makes... Quite frankly, it makes for a better story of a game than Spyro, right? Spyro was, well, you know, not to be too reductive, but they Nintendo had a Mario 64. We need a Mario 64. Here comes Spyro. You know what I mean? I, I hate to say it, but that's really kind of what it comes down to. Whereas Panzer Dragoon, it, it's a little bit more tortured. It's, you know, it's got, like I said, the source code being lost. How much value are we attributing to that? I don't know. What do you think, Kelly? I well, no, Kelly, cool. <laughs> no for me for me it would be uh panzer dragon saga just that that history of it um that cult status it was the first game i remember as being oh my god it is so rare you must find a copy uh i spent years looking for it and finally found it and was just super happy when i finally did um just that cult status that for me it is what started collectors for me and I don't know if it's for anyone else or just me but just me too. that that one game that's the holy grail that for me it just seems that seems to be for a lot of people that game yeah I mean for, I, it's uh, go ahead Ozzy no it's it's complicated for me because you know it's a game that you don't see its DNA necessarily in a ton of other games of the genre like we said the battle system is kind of a cul-de-sac there isn't any other battle system like it. But, you know, in the spirit of 1998, it had a lot of the harbingers and a lot of the signs of what would later come, you know, and what was to be the future of video games. Like we said, it had a lot of cutscenes. It had, it was fully voice acted. First and game, it was all made up, fully yeah, voiced. And it, and it was all in a made up language. And so... The only other game in that year was Metal Gear Solid that was trying to do the same thing. And it was trying to tell a very cinematic story, trying to advance the medium in that manner. Um, 
And I think in that sense, it really was ahead of its time. It's a game that was trying to break the medium apart and trying to say, you know, Final Fantasy is great and all, but we're trying to see it from an entirely different perspective. We're trying to have a paradigm shift here. And a lot of it kind of stuck. I mean, I'm not saying that people were influenced by Panzer Dragoon Saga because they probably weren't. I mean, the only other game developer that I see being influenced by Panzer Dragoon and Saga in particular was probably Fumito Ueda because Ico, uh, I see a lot of shades of Panzer Dragoon in Ico. Good call. Um, yeah. yeah um, particularly with the made up language, etc. Um, but it's just, it did a lot of the things that would become de facto in the industry, you know, in later years. And eventually you had something like Metal Gear Solid 4, which was almost more cutscenes than gameplay itself. And I, I think that, you know, it's not only the mystical and mythical aspect of Panzer Dragoon Saga. I think that it's a game that stands very well on its own in terms of its own contributions to the genre and to the medium. I, I think it did a lot that a lot of games at the time were not really doing. And I think it should be credited for that. Whereas you see something like Spyro, and again, it did things very well, and it was emulating Mario 64 in terms of its open design, but it was derivative, and it was really kind of a proof of concept in my view. Um, if you put a lot of stock on the idea of, you know, what people still play it, I mean, for that, you still have, you know, something like Critical Reception and Legacy and stuff like that, but I, I don't think that that should overwhelm the positive, you know, breakthroughs that Panzer Dragoon Saga really brought to the fold. Should we not give more credit to Spyro for creating a character that evolved over time and is still beloved today, whereas Panzer Dragoon has zero of that? Um, I, I mean, like every other mascot platformer around the time. All right, that's um, that's the answer. That's all I wanted it, to hear. Really, isn't I, I gave so it a shot. So beloved dude. now, I mean, or people just sad that it became Skylanders and Spyro was kind of pushed yeah. to the side, and mm. the, the legacy has don't, been tarnished. Don't don't be swayed by the power of nostalgia. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> nostalgia clouds your judgment, and it, a lot of this is being written by nostalgia. The first Spyro is not a great game. I hate to say it. The second one, the third one is very lovely. But the first one is very basic. It's very elementary. And it has one of the biggest flaws of any collectathon. And that is that whatever you're collecting has no purpose whatsoever. Mm. No purpose whatsoever. I mean, even some games like Banjo-Kazooie actually had a purpose to what you were collecting. You would actually get things out of it. With this, you collect gems and they have no meaning whatsoever. So, yep. I, you know, nostalgia is a very big thing. And I think that if you're talking about legacy, the legacy of Panzer Dragoon Saga is almost gargantuan in nature compared to its peers because it, it's kind of just this forgotten gem. It's this, it's this game that left an imprint without necessarily being successful. You know, whereas in Spyro, you have the complete opposite where it was, it was successful, but it really left no imprint. Good enough. It's like Good empty enough. calories. <laughs> That's what Spyro is. I look, man. I I gave it a shot. I you know I had to throw something in there for Spyro, <laughs> but uh, but ultimately, uh, of course, I agree with you guys, right? Yes. I mean, there's there's no question in my mind. Yeah. 
So, so, so my vote is Panzer Dragoon Saga. If you have, any. <laughs> yeah, I know. For for legacy, <laughs> I think I think we're yes. on board with that. It's funny, Kelly, that you mentioned the collecting, and that's kind of like what you know. That was kind of the you know the impetus, the catalyst for you, if you will, because it's it's similar on my end. Because I was out of gaming for a while until about four or five years ago, and then I revisited some of the old games that I had, and I was like, well, the reason I revisited them was because I was looking at selling off what I had, and the one game that I looked at that I had, because I bought Panzer Dragoon Saga when it was released, that was the one game I looked at and I was like, I can't sell this. I just, I can't. Right. Like, this is too, it's too special, you know, and it's too valuable, right? But more special than valuable. Let's, let's not kid ourselves. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to re-explore some of these older games. And now I am on a podcast. So, <laughs> you know. Panzer Dragoon Saga, man. When I when I first got that game, sorry to you know digress a little bit here, but I remember and I was like, I think I was 18, I was working part-time. I walked into EB Games on a Wednesday and shocked that I saw Panzer Dragoon Saga on the shelf. Because I knew that there was a limited print run and I just never expected to see it in town. I wasn't even really looking for it. But there it was. It was on the shelf, and I was like, oh my God. And I knew I had no money because I wasn't going to get paid till Friday and I was 18. So of course I had no money. So I walked up to the counter and asked the guy, can you please, please, please hold this for me? I'm getting paid on Friday. I really want this game. And he's like, no, get out of here. <laughs> we're, we're not, we're not doing this. Right. And I was like, oh man, I was so like, I was so dejected. And I walked out of the store and I took about five steps outside the store and I remembered that I had 10 bucks in my wallet and the light bulb went on in my head and I walked back in and I said, hey, can I put a $10 deposit and pick it up in two days? And then they relented and I picked it up two days later. Nice. Very, yeah, very close to not getting it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, lasting appeal. Which of these games would you rather play today? Again, we don't need to spend too much time on this one. Yeah. I was I mean, let, playing yeah, it last night, time. so you know that pretty much should tell you it all right there. Listen, I, in the interest of professionalism, I played Spyro the Dragon for one and a half hours, and what I could say is, I did not hate my time with it, and that's about it. <laughs> you can't say something nice. Don't say anything at all. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> And obviously, uh, obviously, I'd much rather play Panzer Dragon Saga. There, there's no question. Spyro, I mean, look, this is this is all personal preference. I'm pretty sure we could get three different people on the show and have completely different answers. But for better or worse, it's three of us. And I think Panzer Dragon Saga is moving ahead. Am I right? Yes. I mean, if it doesn't, <laughs> then there's no God. <laughs> I mean, That's Arnie's not here, so... <laughs> But wait, wait. Let me think about it for a minute here. Okay. <laughs> oh, never mind. <laughs> uh, All right. Yeah, I was really hoping that Parts of Dragon Saga was not going to get Arnie'd. I'm going to make that into a, a verb. <laughs> <laughs> the heaping of praise onto something undeserved. <laughs> Getting Arnie'd. <laughs> Poor guy. He's going to uh, hear this. He's not going to be happy with this. <laughs> Um, yeah, but you know, Spyro, there were 
a waste of a perfectly good spot. So, Stop <laughs> it! No, it deserves to be on the 16. There, there's a lot it did right there. I don't think we were. I don't think we were too hard on it. Um, no, I think it was fine. It was fine. It was just that fine. <laughs> all right, all right. So we're gonna end it on that note. Um, hey, Kelly, thanks again for joining us. This was a lot of fun as usual. Oh yes, yes, anytime. It was long in the making. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> we, we did we our first in episode develop- in July. We were in development hell, just like Panzer Dragoon Saga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's actually a very accurate way of putting it. <laughs> now the only thing that could go wrong is that we lose all of our audience. Oh, now you said <laughs> I have it. To, I, ha- no. I have to talk about Spyro for another hour. <laughs> <laughs> anyhow yeah so again thanks kelly for joining us thanks everyone for listening you know as usual visit us on our website regionfreegamers.com or talk to us on instagram that's mainly where we do most of our communication on instagram we are at region free gamers podcast on twitter because of the character limit we are at region free gamer and arnie's manning our twitter as well so you can mostly reach out to him there um you can find kelly on instagram at uh sierra sierra knight on sierra knight underscore gaming and i'm also on twitter at sierra knight 24 so yep okay thank you i would have messed that up so (laughs) thanks for stepping in gotta say Um, kelly's instagram page probably like one of my i don't know top 10 favorites because she's got this great collection that is just so much fun to drool over on a semi-daily basis like the shelves with the Vita games, like it's just so much fun to look at. And then you have really thoughtful and well-informed and experienced captions there too. I I love following it and I highly recommend others do as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I second that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and by the way, I mean, I will say, by the time this comes out, I swear, Paul, I will have an article on our website, regionfreegamers.com, speaking something positive about Spire of the Dragon. I can't wait. So... Right on. I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to reading that. I on the other hand will play Panzer Dragoon Saga and probably not write anything about it at all. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm looking forward to the work that you guys are putting in cuz you guys are better writers than I am. Um so anyhow, again, thanks everyone for listening. Take care.